Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back in. We record on a Friday morning. Hope everyone is getting ready for a great weekend here as we wrap up February. Signs of spring all around us here in Happy Valley. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue. Coming to you, looking out the window, seeing a lot more green than I did just last episode, Sean. Uh, The days are getting a bit longer. We're just a few weeks away from spring practice. The mock drafts are coming fast and furious. So finally, feels like we're in the final stretch of this winter. We thank everyone for joining us. And we got a lot of football to get to. Just stop it. Don't don't jinx it. We're, we're <laughs> doing so well. <laughs> we don't need your, you know, you know, your backwards thinking. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's 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 cool. It feels like we're got we got some spring ball coming up. Feels like we got some pro day coming up. Feels like there's just you know we're getting into into March. I know it's not quite there yet, but it will be very very soon. And hey, man, March means football around here. Usually, obviously, last year a little bit different. Uh, but anything that we can you know try to make ourselves feel normal, I think we can go with. Well, we've got coaching staff stuff to talk about. We've got player stuff to talk about. We've got recruiting to talk about. And to help us do that, Brian Doan, the fantastic national recruiting analyst here at 24-7 Sports, uh, sits down with Sean for a lengthy conversation. New rankings were out this week from 24-7 Sports on the 2022 class. There were five Penn State commits inside that top 24-7. Another player who had a four-star status. Um, so we'll get into some of that, some of the targets that we're moving around. We'll talk to that uh, uh, in a moment. Um, I wanted to circle back real quick, Sean, because I know not everybody catches every single episode. But if you did not catch our last episode, which started off with some conversation about Anthony Poindexter uh, coming in as safeties coach. We'll talk about that in a second because now that's finalized. But we had Brandon Short on, former All-American linebacker, now a member of the Penn State Board of Trustees. We covered a lot of ground there. And I think hands down, since we started doing this podcast together, aside from some of the post-game conversations that have drawn some attention, this one really got the most positive feedback from our listening audience, whether it was on the message board, on social media. So I just want to encourage our listeners, Sean, if you missed that one and you're curious about what's going on and why decisions are being made at Penn State about investments in the football program, this is one you want to circle back to and get to. That one published on Tuesday. And secondly, if you're not listening to every episode, how dare you? At least you know? download them, I hope. I yeah, hope at, least at least download, download them. Do something like that. <laughs> um, you know, we also talked about Anthony Poindexter being hired, uh, got into that quite a bit. That move was made official midweek as, as we expected. And uh, now all of a sudden Penn State's filled out its staff once again. Uh, you hope that's the end. I right. assume it's the end. Uh, but you never know with uh, with the NFL and such. But Anthony Poindexter is officially in. We talked uh, on Tuesday, I believe it was, that we were getting Ty Howe later in that day. He had his quote-unquote introductory press conference met with the media, talked about the tight end room, talked about his job and what he sees out of it. 
a lot of positive feedback coming out of uh, the Ty Hell interview. This was a really good call, and there wasn't any kind of headline grabbing, you know, statements that were going to come from this. The tight end room, it's in a good spot. Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh, controversy to stir up there. You're losing an All Big Ten player in Pat Fryermuth, but we have talked a lot here on the show about what you've got coming back, and, and Brenton Strange, and Theo Johnson, and Tyler Warren. And pretty soon, Khalil Dinkins joining that mix. And, um, you know, the, 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 right off the bat, I asked about those three players who are on campus right now and, and, and working to, to help Penn State through that post-Friermuth world. And, and we got a sneak peek at that during the second half of the season last year. And just a lot of excitement. He, he said, you know, Tyler Warren has really come a long way. And, you know, just, just no surprise, there, there is uh, significant buzz in the building right now about Brenton Strange and, and Theo Johnson. Um, and what they can do with, with more expanded reps. And, and of course, Tyler Warren, uh, a high school quarterback, and, and, and just really early on in his transition to tight end, what they have seen from him thus far. So, um, you know, beyond that, I think one thing that struck a chord with a lot of Penn State fans was just how passionate and how excited Ty Howell sounds to have this opportunity. He admitted to us on the call that, it, to become a position coach at Penn State was a goal for him, but this is ahead of the schedule that he really projected himself on. And, you know, you don't really anticipate once you get into February that there's going to be some moves made that maybe jettison you to that spot. Um, but here we've seen here we've seen it with, with uh, Tyler Bowen moving on to the NFL and, and Ty Howell getting his shot. It's not like James Franklin didn't you know, pers- you know explore other options, have conversations with external candidates for this position, but Howell was able to prove enough during his year on campus. And one thing he said was how close he is with Tyler Bowen. Um, their relationship extends back to um, earlier when Ty- Tyler Bowen was a-, a GA with Penn State and Ty Howell was a GA with Penn State. And they were in their early 20s and you know they reunited last year with Howell being an offensive analyst and uh, coming in and-, and helping out with, with you know, here, there, everywhere position-wise. But uh, spending a lot of time with Tyler Bowen not just working with the tight end group and the personnel, but also working on the recruiting trail. Tyler Bowen, of course, the offensive recruiting coordinator. Ty Howell, as we mentioned, his name seems to pop up a lot when you when you talk with offensive targets that Penn State has offered in the last year. Um, so there is a lot of sense that this is a transition that is very comfortable from both ends for James Franklin and Penn State and for Ty Howell because of the work he has put in, because of that established relationship with Tyler Bowen. And I think a few other people noted this. If you closed your eyes and didn't know who was on the call, kind of sounded like Tyler Bowen, and that tends to happen. I know these guys are both from, you know, it's more south, uh, North Carolina and Georgia. But when you're in close proximity with someone, and this happens a lot in the football world, you start to pick up some of the, 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 the same you know, kind of inflections in your voice and some of the same cadence. And it sounded a lot like Tyler Bowen in a few different ways during the phone call, Sean. And, and really what they're hoping here. And, and you take a look across college football and, you know, some programs will hire the, the up and coming, the young up and comers for basically their first major job. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen a ton, though. You better be damn sure if you're hiring a guy that is going to be on field position, is going to be recruiting for you, that you think he can get the job done. And, and you're sort of, you know, you kind of caught lightning in a bottle there with Tyler Bowen. And I know Bowen, you know, was a coach at Maryland and, of course, the offensive line coach at Fordham before that. Um, and they offensive coordinator there. Um, but you, you're hoping that you can get 
three or four years down the road, Ty Howell can be that similar sort of rising star type candidate. Now, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time recruiting. It's going to take some time on the field. Um, but you, you're hoping that you're putting a big stake into, hey, I think this guy is going to be big time eventually. I think he's going to be able to, uh, you know, sort of take what Bowen started and run with it. Um, you're not going to be able to, as we've said several times, not going to be able to check every box that Bowen was able to get in. But I think Ty Howell, not only taking into account that he knows the lay of the land, that he's been here for a year as an offensive analyst, not even taking that into account, but he provides you with a lot of the same things that Bowen can, just a little bit shorter. And and like you mentioned, he's got that Southern accent. So uh, those guys have been working together on recruiting. Jerry Cross has mentioned it. Some of the other tight ends that, that we've talked to and offensive linemen and, and guys in, in certain areas where Bowen recruited as how kind of moves in on some of those territories. It, there's a lot of similarities there. Like I said, Tyler Bowen, I don't think people realize how good of a coach Tyler Bowen was on both sides, on the coaching and recruiting side. So it's going to take some time for, for how to get there. But James Franklin showed a lot of faith in, in, in thinking that he can be one of those guys. And we've seen here in the past six weeks just how different coaching hires can be in college football. You had Mike Yersich come in in, in January Kind of that mercenary, that college football mercenary, a guy who's got the playbook, has the ideas, has the quarterback track record. He's bounced around a bit. You wonder how long you'll have him here at Penn State. You'd like to have him for a while. We'll see. He, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's been around a bit and, and he's got that extensive resume and maybe he's viewed as that missing piece that you pluck in, you need place here and it elevates you to where you need to be offensively to really compete at the level James Franklin wants to be. And then you've got Ty Howell, who's 29 years old. Um, you know, less than a decade removed from putting on this Penn State uniform. He was a team captain when he had the sanctions coming down for Penn State. And you just listen to the excitement and the love that he has for this Penn State football program and for this university. It's just a different deal. You'll talk to coaches who come in here and you can tell they're playing catch up on the culture with Penn State. They're playing catch up on on the community and, and, and just basically how... how you know what the perception is about Penn State football, and they're trying to acclimate themselves. There is no acclimation process here. Ty Howell clearly is is in love with with his experience here at Penn State. Um, he talked about the bond that was built, and he also said it was a big reason why he felt like there was such an outpouring of support from former teammates, from members of the Penn State football community when his hiring was announced because the bond that those guys created in 2012, 2013, um, you know. Dealing, walking across the coals with the situation and him being a locker room leader in that group, this is a guy who carries a lot of respect. He may not have that resume that, that other coaches on this staff have and the different stops in college football, but if you're talking about a guy who gets what the Penn State community is looking for and gets what it takes to be a, a Nittany Lion and live up to the standard that was set a long time ago with this program, uh, th- this guy has his head wrapped around that and then some. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, you don't really, you kind of got to walk a fine line because you want some guys that have a connection to the program. You do, you're not necessarily going to go out and hire every ex player to be a, a coach here, but I think you can find a guy that that has the proper resume. Was uh, I think co offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator at uh, at Western Illinois. So it's kind of a similar track to to what Bowen got uh, in it. You know. One year stop at Maryland as the offensive line coach. Hal gets the one year stop as the in the analyst role at Penn State, and, and Penn State's only got a couple of those analyst positions. And if you're going to take a chance on a 28 year old guy that uh, you know he didn't coach, I mean James Franklin did not coach uh, a Ty Howell. Is that correct? That sounds right. Um, but uh, yeah, 2013 was his final season. 
Yeah, the, his the end of his career is it's a murky point for a, for a lot of people. Um, but now it's uh, it's one of those situations where if you're going to go inside the family but not connected in that in in the Franklin Web, I mean that says something about bringing that on. Now we move on. Uh, that offensive analyst position was vacant. Uh, now we, as we reported on Friday morning, it has been filled or will be filled uh, by former NFL offense coordinator Dal Loggins. Uh, most recently with the Jets, he was the offensive coordinator as well with uh, under Adam Gase uh, with the Dolphins, been with the Titans, the Bears, the Browns, been all NFL. Um, kind of ran cross paths with uh, with the Franklin staff while he was uh, with the Titans down in Nashville. Uh, tremendously bright guy. He keeps getting opportunities. I know that you know though that that is not a laundry list of of the NFL's top programs or top offenses. Um, but if you keep getting hired at that level um, as an offensive coordinator, you probably bring something to the table. And this is not an on field role. This is an analyst role where you have input. You can provide input. Very sharp guy. A uh, guy that's been very well respected. And in the coaching world, if it's not uh, you know the, the Jets fans probably don't have. Great things to say about him over the last couple of years, um, but uh, no, I think this is a this is a win where you can bring in a, a lot of quality experience to sort of help out Mike Gersich to help out that offensive staff and, and give yourself a different a different look in that room. Forty years old, uh, a guy who, as you just mentioned, more than a dozen years at the professional level of the sport, and that was an immediate reaction that we saw social media message board. A lot of attachment to Adam Gase, who is one of the more notably failed head coaches at the NFL during recent memory. They've worked together, I think, for the last six seasons with the Bears, with the Dolphins, with the Jets. This is an opportunity, clearly. We see other programs do it in a really strong way where you bring in a guy in an analyst role. Maybe he's at a point in his career that he could require a bit of a pivot. Um, and, and I think if you're coming off that Jet staff in the last couple of years, it's a good pivot point for you. And I think it's a nice, nice move for Penn State. He's the guy who has plenty of experience working with quarterbacks uh, at the highest caliber of the sport. Um, you know, what's he going to add in, in terms of a voice? Not totally sure, but I know when you've spent the last 13 seasons game planning against NFL defenses, you're going to add something to the staff. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of a rehab stint, as we've seen with, with Nick Saban in Alabama. You bring in these guys and the analyst position, there's only so much you can do. But at the same time, that that sort of insight is invaluable. And when you take into account how some of these guys come along, like the former offensive coordinator for the Jets, he's probably still getting paid by the Jets, I would assume. I don't know the ins and outs of his contract. Um, but it's it's going to be a situation where it's it's usually a positive gain. I don't think there's there's really not much that you can complain about aside from being a Jets fan, which if you're a Jets fan, you're probably complaining already anyway. So, I mean, that's kind of where things go with that. So I thought that was cool. Another familiar face or another, another staff movement, uh, you know, happening this week, a familiar face, our boy, Kenny Sanders, who has just, since he left for Oregon, he was, he was the uh, assistant director of player personnel at Penn state for five years, went to Oregon as director of recruiting since he, he, since he went, Penn state fans have been clamoring to get this guy back. It's been like the, uh, I feel like it surfaces here and there. Once Kenny Sanders going back this time, it's happening. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a great, it's anytime you can get a, a guy who's already been in that circle of trust for your football program, bring him back in there 
it, it gets rid of a lot of the, the you know, the, tra- the transitional issues that can come with the staff hire. You bring in a familiar name here, a, a guy that's already uh, getting to work, I think, on the recruiting trail for Penn State when it comes to, to making some new connections. Uh, obviously, he's had some, a little bit of time away. The target board has changed. We've had some cycles move forward. Um, but a lot of time, I mean, at Penn State, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but, but he was, was he an original Part of, was he a 2014 guy with, with, with Penn State? I haven't read your article because it's not published yet. Um. Easy, easy. <laughs> um, no, he was he was with the Ravens from 20, uh, 2009 to 2014 in the scouting department. Okay. And then he came to Penn State, uh, five straight classes that were in the top 20 at Penn State. This is a guy that a- anytime you talk to parents or, or um, players that came through for visits, Kenny was one of those guys that popped up as the name that you could really relate to. You know, he would hop in the golf cart, take you around, do that kind of stuff when visits were still a thing obviously um but uh yeah kenny was a guy that just really the a lot of times those recruiting coordinator positions not very visible um kenny was a guy that you know like justin king or like ej barthol um it was a guy that you you would hear his name pop up maybe more than you should um based off of his personality and the the way that he was able to relate so that's uh certainly i I think it'd be a big move i mean this is a guy that's very popular did a good job at oregon um working under mario cristobal who signed a really uh really good classes under his watch as well um so we'll, we'll see how that goes especially when it comes back with visits i think it can be a very positive for that and by the way he's a mcdonough grad uh you know there's a guy that, that down at mcdonough's who's, who's pretty good we will talk a little bit about this with with brian doan um, talking about some of uh, we're talking about kenny sanders coming back in anthony poindexter's recruiter in that interview a little bit later um but yeah this is a guy that penn state fans were clamoring for for a reason and now he's back in town I just this seems like a beautiful thing for for Penn State's recruiting office. It seems like a great setup for for James Franklin at this point in the calendar to be able to pull off this move. And, and it seems like a great move for Kenny Sanders himself uh, to to get back uh, here to a place he's extremely familiar with. And a lot of guys in this roster that that he was uh, developing relationships when they were 16, 17 years old. Now they're part of this starting unit for Penn State. Uh, so I, I think it, I think this is a, a major plus for Penn State. We saw Charles Walker, um, who was in a, a, an assistant recruiting coordinator role, leave for a, an analyst job with the Atlanta Falcons. That became official earlier this week. Pretty quickly, um, we're seeing the Eric, mess. Eric Thatcher as well also yeah. took a on-field role at the University of, at Albany. I believe he's coaching the safeties up there. So those guys, you know, you don't hear a ton about them. But during during the shutdown, really, you've heard Charles Walker's name a lot. A I lot, mean, that's a he's lot, been a, a guy that's been going out there making offers, just sort of spraying offers. To be honest with you, uh, a lot of offers out there. Um, but a guy that would establish, you know, contact with with uh, with players and coaches and things like that and it's a, and he's really been more visible and I think you're going to see that going uh, from from Kenny moving or Kenny Sanders moving forward these guys are the table setters um, they, they don't get that glory necessarily I think James Franklin is always quick to, to give them a shout out on signing day but they're not the guy they're, you know the position coaches the coordinators the head coach they're the ones who are the focal points when a lot of these recruiting stories are written and, and the recruits talk about the decision and, and all that these guys are often the initial entry point for that contact. They make sure things go smoothly. When those official visits happen again, knock on wood, they are very important to that process and making sure that it's a good experience. And and quite frankly, let's just logistically setting up phone calls, making sure that coaches, sometimes you got to prod the coaches a little bit, making sure that coaches are making the calls, handling the reach out, 
watching the film, signing off on offers, all the different things that are going beyond the, the normal regular football practice role that a position coach would have. Um, a lot of respect for these guys. These are the kind of guys that I worked with and worked for when I was, was well, on the other side of this industry. Um, and, and far too often they go overlooked. And I think Kenny Sanders is not a name that's going to be overlooked uh, in Penn State circles. I'm going to give you a yes, but I'm also going to give you a but to that. Penn State wants Sanders more involved in the recruiting I like the actual, hey, come to Penn State recruiting. And that's been kind of a change over the last year that we've seen for, from a lot of college programs is these guys in this, these, these roles were not administrative positions fully, but guys that, you know, really just, uh, connected sort of the dots. On, they connected, connected, connected the, dots, the dots, worked yeah. on the nuts and bolts and did things like that. I appreciate you, uh, filling. I actually, uh, it was, uh, your dots. Burp, yeah. I was burping right there. <laughs> there um, but, uh, <laughs> no, but it was, it was more in the, in the shadows. And I think this is going to be a more, um, public position. I think this is going to be one where you hear his name a bunch. And I think that's sort of the evolution of the recruiting coordinator is going from a guy that sets up visits to going to a guy that is trying to get you on visits that that is trying to, you know, pique your interest and, and say all the right things and, and become more of a, pro, a part of the process. And I think that's been a development that we've seen as schools learn from what they have had to or how they have had to adapt in the last year. And if that's part of the plan, what you're laying out there, uh, then I think Kenny Sanders is the right man for a job. There's a lot of people who have these positions that they're more more so background people. That's kind of their personality. Kenny can Kenny can bring the personality that that can help facilitate exactly what you're discussing. Um, so that story is going to be up. Sean, uh, Sean Sean was sitting on a couple of these things for a few days, and, and it all kind of came up Friday where it was a, a point where he was comfortable to report this, and we were able to talk about it on the podcast. So nice timing on that, Sean, and uh, all this up on lines247.com uh, to get a, a better sense. By the way, I I don't want to shortchange Mark Brennan put together a, a really good uh, extensive piece on Anthony Poindexter. Uh, you know what what he brings as far as a former All American player, a college football. Hall of Fame inductee, some really cool uh, anecdotal evidence of his path that has led to Happy Valley as safety's coach. And, and also he takes that uh, co-defensive coordinator label uh, that Tim Banks carried, as Sean has pointed out several times. Uh, that's more about salary than it is about anything else. Am I correct on that point and sticking by that? I love to hammer that point home. Yeah. You know it. Um, but and, and on top of that, thanks to Mark. Mark actually wrote the Dow uh, Login story for us because the other night um, when I said this might be coming out right now, um, he was by a computer and was able to do that. So thanks to Mark for, for writing that as well. Well, we, we are going to get into a ton on recruiting with Brian Doan in just a moment. But a, a few of those to, to just kind of look at real quick here, Sean, I think we wanted to still mention a few. Um, Drew Alar, the stock is soaring for this kid, uh, a guy that, that climbed more than 300 spots in the, rec- in the recruiting rankings that 24-7 Sports put out. He's the number five pro-style QB. He was like kind of a nice little emerging story just five, six weeks ago when Penn State made him the first new quarterback target under Mike Yersich. Now all of a sudden, well, not really suddenly, just steadily, a bunch of new offers have come through. Michigan and Texas A&M were within like 24 hours, but they keep coming and then just yesterday, Notre Dame throws its hat in the ring. Steve Wilfong had a write-up yesterday on, on lines247.com that's still on the site about his experience visiting Penn State. One of those, can't meet with anybody, can't access a lot of facilities, but you get your feet on campus and get check it out. Sounded like an impression was made there. Sounded like Mike Yursich continues to make an impression. But man, this is one of those classic late winner, 
early spring ascension stories that we see really on an annual basis at that position, Sean? Oh, I think it's it's really all about Mike Yersich here. I mean, from a from a Penn State perspective, I know you're talking about the the rise that he's on, and that's it's pretty remarkable in itself, especially considering how fractured this process, uh, the cycle has been to start with evaluations, with no camps, with with coaches not being able to go see a quarterback throw. And we know how important that position is. We know how important you know that that sort of interaction is. Um, but like when I when I first wrote about Drew Alar back in I think it was January, um, Akron, Bowling Green, Central Michigan, Iowa, Iowa State, Miami, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Princeton, South Florida, Toledo, and Wake Forest. That's so Penn State's quite, really splashy at that point. That's quite different than it looks right now. You mentioned all those other schools that have come in, and and that's kind of how the process works. I mean, you, you take a look, and there's there's nothing wrong with piggybacking, you know, most of the time, or sometimes most of the time, um, because hey, maybe you overlooked this kid, and you you flip on that film, and Don and I talk about it uh, from from that standpoint in the interview a little bit later, but. There's a lot to like with this kid. Um, Penn State, that, that's one of those guys at Yursich when I think he might have been the first quarterback that he followed on Twitter. So that tells you that he's been looking at this guy for a while. He saw something in him while he was at Texas, didn't offer him when he was at Texas, but saw something in him. And now it's sort of aligning with the, with what everybody else is seeing. And that's sort of good. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, that list of guy, uh, that list of programs that have offered, but. Penn State really moves the needle when you're talking about going against an Iowa State or South Florida, whatever, what have you. And then when some of those other offers come through, including Michigan, including Notre Dame, um, you're, you're going to remember who was one of those those first ones in there. And, and it's not like you could go go back to last fall and Mike Yersich could have offered him for Penn State. So that's not how, that's not how that works. So um, you know, I, I like where. The, I like the job that Yersich has done. I like where Penn State stands in this one. A little bit early for a crystal ball. I don't think he's um, really gotten that far into the process yet. But I think Penn State has done a really good job of, of establishing that he's one of their guys. And, and, and really, despite having Bo Probula in the class already, that, that might be what they're looking for in a quarterback. Yeah. By, by the way, did you and Brian talk about Probula? Um, I Obviously, you just recorded, so I have not listened to that one yet. Yeah, we talked a little bit about his rating, about how much we want to see him. He got a little bit of a bump uh, on 24-7 sports this week. Obviously, not as much as, as Alar, but uh, a guy that we definitely want to see in person. That's going to be an interesting dynamic because you you take a look here. I mean, all of a sudden, Drew Alar is, is a top 100 quarterback, and uh, Bo Perbula is a, is a four-star guy, very talented guy, a guy that they've liked for a long time. But it's going to be some interesting dynamics there as they, as they look to add to, um, you know, in, in – on paper, it sounds great, but it's never as easy as you make it out to be when you're adding a, a two quarterback class. And it seems to be everybody's trying to do that right now. Like a lot, a lot of programs across the country are looking to bring in two, and you got to find the right guys that that want to be a part of that. Rankings and ratings wise, uh, Alar now in a level that James Franklin has not signed at the quarterback position since he arrived on campus. In that perspective, Bo Perbuel, obviously a player of the year candidate here across Pennsylvania. I did want to mention, though, I caught up briefly with Bo this week. He will indeed uh, be accepting that invitation to go compete at the Elite 11 uh, Regional Circuit Camp in Philadelphia. We'll see if beyond that, maybe he's a guy who gets to the finals. But I've been circling that for a lot of people. That's a chance for him to kind of go shoulder to shoulder with a lot of different names in the region and maybe outside the region. A good opportunity for some comparative analysis to see where he is 
as a quarterback at this stage. I know he put a lot on film this past season, did a lot of good things, got that slight ratings bump. I think he's the number eight dual threat quarterback, but he's still at a high three-star level. Everybody else, Sean, as as I'm sure you'll get to with these rankings, uh, everybody else in the Penn State class considered a four-star prospect uh, by 24-7 sports right now. So uh, a strong foundation for the 2022 cycle. Leading off that foundation in rankings and in terms of a timeline of commitment, Caden Saunders. This is a guy who, you know, talk about stock being up for Drew Alar. Stock is certainly up for Caden Saunders. He made his big leap in these rankings um, during his junior season where he really added a lot of production to his resume um, since the bit since the best of the Midwest combine a couple weekends ago in Indiana three new SEC offers uh, have jumped on, on on you know on his table Alabama Tennessee Texas A&M uh, conversations and dialogue continue with other programs we had something up on the site last week from from my conversation with his father about uh, you know, there being a willingness to to not shut down other options and shut down other conversations. Uh, that's this cycle. I think you've said that before. You've got to be able to stomach it this cycle at least. Um, and any thoughts on, on where things have gone with Caden Saunders, who, who, by the way, him and mom and dad continue to, you know, they continue to reflect quite well on Penn State through their social media posts. And they continue to listen to the podcast, apparently. So that's good. Um, no, not much to add. I mean, this is this is something that you're, you're going to have to deal with in this cycle where he's going to be able to talk to, to, to keep his options open, talk to other staffs. And that's just got to be something you deal with. And, and I don't I don't really feel much differently about Caden Saunders right now than I did two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So um, certainly got to, I mean, you're probably naive to think that this is going to go without any speed bumps or anything like that. But, you know, that's part of him making his decision. Um, just, I don't want to say fleshing it out, but covering all his bases in terms of, you know, does when that window opens up in June, does he want to go out and check out these schools that he hasn't seen? Does he want to check out these schools that he has seen? Um, you know, where does he want to be? But, you know, continues to, to say the right things, do the right things, continues to recruit heavily for Penn State. And I think that I, I don't see much changing from now um, than just uh, than, than what it was like a few weeks ago. Now, the Alabama offer helps, and obviously his his recruiting profile from an offer standpoint is much bigger than it was when he committed. That's no secret, but that's going to be something that you have to deal with. And, and I think that when we come out of this dead period, there's going to be a mad rush at a lot of schools. Um, you're going to find out where you're on that board, and you're going to find out where you're not on that board. And that's going to be something that's going to be very interesting when you take into account an offer like Alabama, where, you know, Caden Saunders is, I mean, we cover Penn State, your, your fans listening here are Penn State fans. So you see that Alabama offer and you, and you quiver. Well, Alabama's got a lot of offers out too. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think there's a lot of setting of the table. Um, and that's not Saunders specific. That's not anybody specific, but there's a lot of setting the table for June to set yourself in the up in the best position. If you want to host this guy on official visit, if you want to host this guy, uh, get this guy to camp, if you want to host this guy for an unofficial visit, all that stuff sort of, you, you got to position yourself to be in that spot when that, when that window sort of opens. On the, on the journey to that December signing period for this class, that is the next major fork in the road, I think, for, for these recruits, for these commits in the Penn State class and committed elsewhere is what do you do when you can now utilize official visits to other campuses? What's your decision? How does the staff react to that? 
And how does that, what does that mean for your relationship and the dynamics leading up to the signing period? That's, that's the next thing. And you better have that figured out before you get there. If you're the Penn State coaching staff, if you're the coaching staff anywhere in the country, you got to make sure your approach is going to be consistent and you, you've got to be ready to make that, uh, that difficult conversation and, and maybe to be able to make some concessions in this cycle of all cycles. And that, um, and that, and that's something they're doing as well in terms of when you see the offer list, uh, you know, with hundreds of kids offered, that's setting the table for, Hey, if you want to, if you want to get this kid at camp, you probably have, but by, by that point, the, 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 um, the cycle will be so far along by that point, he's probably going to have a nice little list of, of options. Even if you can't commit to him, he's going to have a nice high profile and that's going to make you say, I don't have to go to camp. I don't have to do this. So you offer, uh, you get in with those guys. You, you want to be able to see them on campus. You want to be able to, to see them work out. You got to put yourself in a position to do that. And you, and nowadays you have to do that by offering. And I think a good example of that, uh, to a lesser degree, because currently at the three-star level, Anto Saka, uh, a kid who picked up an offer at Loyola Bake, uh, Blakefield down in Maryland, got a Penn State offer this week. He didn't get any offers until November, Sean. This is a six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pound prospect. Uh, played some strong side linebacker. Uh, moved up, put his put his hand in the dirt. Played some defensive end last year. We've got him projected on twenty-four-seven Sports as a defensive end long term, but. You know, he's had some conversations with college coaching staffs about his versatility. I wrote a story this week. Penn State brought up Jason Oway in their early conversations with him about what he can maybe do in a defense. Um, this is a kid in Anto that the offers are, are pouring in right now. I think he's got six new Big Ten offers in just the last few weeks, and yet his recruitment has started in the middle of this pandemic-induced dead period in college football. And I think he's a, that's kind of a perfect example of a kid that there's a lot of curiosity about from an athletic standpoint, from a position standpoint, but also a kid that's pretty naive at this stage to the recruiting world. And, and you want to put yourself in a good position for when those floodgates open, that he's looking in your direction early when he can. Well, if you, it's funny you mentioned Jason Away because I, I know everyone's going to take the physical comparison, and everything like that. But if you remember Jason Away's recruitment, he wasn't on the on the board at this point when he was a prospect. Imagine that recruitment happening now, and how different it would all maybe be. Well, that's the funny thing because Penn State, when they when they were going after him, um, you know, going in the spring of that year, I forget what year it was, um, but they they sort, they sort of held off on offering. Um, until I think early April or something like that because they wanted to get to know him. You wanted to get the tests and see if he was as athletic as they thought they were. And uh, nowadays, you just dish out that offer. Yeah, and there, right. There's a little, little risk in putting that out. So um, that, that's one of those things where if, if Jason Away comes along in, in 2021 and you don't offer him until April, you're – probably not getting him. And that's been the sort of the, the way that this process has changed from that aspect. If you think this guy is, uh, or if you have a feeling that this guy is what you think he could be, eh, offer him. It's, a, it's, a, it's no harm done. So I know everybody wants to maybe overreact at the number of offers that they have out, but it's really just setting them up for the next step and, and seeing what they can do to uh, to sort of reorganize their board come June. From a bit of a mystery man there with a Maryland edge rusher that has emerged in kind of the shroud of darkness of, of college football recruiting. And to, before, I have sorry. one more point with that. Yeah. You have to take into account if you're in the region, if you're in the state, 
that's different. It's a little bit different. You you've got a little bit more flexibility. We, we've we've talked about Philadelphia and the way that they've sort of um, just shotgunned offers out there. Um, but it, it's it's a little bit different because you never know if a guy's going to maybe jump on it or that guy can get to the camp to campus very easily. So you, you know that's why you see Florida, Texas, California offers going out like crazy. Alabama, Georgia, all through there. Um, but so you have to slow it down. But at the same time, it's not like it used to be where you know you you waited until. Um, June to get this guy on campus and actually work him out. Um, it's it's really changed so much in the last couple of years, but you do have to take into account where these kids are, are coming from. Uh, speaking of where they're coming from, you've got one coming from a Penn State family on the offer board now, Sean. A, a, a leg- good transition. I, I'm trying. Uh, a legacy offer goes out from the Nittany Lions this week. Yes, uh, Ryan Brubaker, Cocalico High School. I know you were trying to avoid saying that the high school name uh, it can be a tricky one. Uh, but and now it's a guy that uh, Penn State's been looking at for a while. It's kind of blown up on the, you know, on the, on the, on the circuit in terms of Tennessee offer. Ole Miss, I think, was his first Power Five offer. Um, he's got an interesting background as an athlete. Uh, came out this week. Uh, rivals put him at number 149 overall. And that, uh, you don't want to hear it because you don't want to think that that's the influence that, that rankings like this have. But Penn State kind of found themselves in a position where if they wanted to be in it, you kind of got to offer. And that goes back to what we were just saying. So I think they found themselves there. They thought, okay, you're looking at a kid who's, I think, 6'6", 280, uh, great frame. Obviously, he's got some connections. You put on the film, I don't see the number 150 player in the country or whatever. But, uh, you know, you look at a guy that the way that offensive tackle recruiting goes, that eventually down the line, you're probably going to you're probably gonna end up offering. So you get ahead of it. You do it now. Um, you see what happens with that. But uh, Brew Baker is obviously a guy that's got a ton of Penn State connections. You've got uh, a lot going on there with uh, with, with family and, and, and right in the heart there. And I think Penn State will have a great shot we have a lot more on penn state recruiting coming up in just a few minutes brian doan national recruiting analyst with 24 7 sports hops back on the show with us for a lengthy conversation a couple points to get to including the mailbag but i want to start tyler shuck a name that you have mentioned a name that has been asked about quite a bit on the message boards regarding penn state's potential acquisition of a transfer quarter portal quarterback after seeing a couple leave via the transfer portal Shuck leaving Oregon, now finding a home at Texas Tech. So close the book on another name. What are your thoughts at this point? Because uh, that feels like a little bit of a loose thread that has been kind of cut off. You know, it's it's so tough to say with with transfer quarterbacks uh, because if you, you take a look at the pursuit and and just judging from the people that I've talked to at Penn State, yeah, they liked him. I don't think that that was a heavy pursuit type thing. I think monitoring was the, the phrase that I used several times when it came to Tyler Shuck, um, but it didn't didn't work out. So they'll continue to look. I'm I'm confident in that in terms of uh, older guy, younger guy. Um, the numbers are not great in that room right now, and you, you got to figure out a way to uh, to address that. Other thing to get to is the mailbag. We did not do that last episode. We have it right here before we get to Brian Doan, bumping it up earlier in the episode. And we'll go with this question, Sean. Uh, I think it's it's a pretty solid one. There seem to be a lot of players now in their bonus freshman year set to build on 2020 game experience, especially on offense. Who do you think has the best chance to make a major jump in production? Um, and, And this question is exactly on point because offensively, you look at the the backfield, the wide receiver room. 
the tight end room with Theo Johnson and even a little bit of Tyler Warren, there was a lot of true freshman involvement over the course of that eight uh, of that nine game season. So typically, we'd probably say somebody that you know is emerging, you know, like a Malik Mega or, or Tyler Warren, so, you know, somebody like that. But you know, these guys got on the field and played a lot as true freshmen. When you're talking about Theo Johnson, Keandre Lambert, Smith, Parker Washington, I look at those two receivers and say, and say, hey, these guys can really grow. Um, Washington and Lambert Smith are are two guys that you know showed some flashes. I think obviously more Washington than Lambert Smith this year. But uh, we we oftentimes try to look and and be too smart and look at the guys that can you know potentially break out. But some guys that have already been there, it's kind of like Jahan Dotson last year. We you know we heard some great things about him going into the season, but you kind of take these guys for granted sometimes. And when you when you view them under the microscope of just being in one class, you forget. Hey, those guys probably uh, found their field for a reason. So I wouldn't be surprised at all with an uptick for uh, for Washington and, and Lambert Smith this year. I know that you know maybe picking the the guys that have played more is kind of a cop out, but uh, I think that 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 gap between those guys and the receivers, the other receivers they brought in last year, is is big. And I think it's the, those are going to be the guys that you lean on this year as starters. Well, Sean, I think this question has a built in cop out for us because uh, it, it's it's saying you know kind of the guys who have played in, in games and guys who can get a jump in their production. So um, I think, you know, and but there's still a lot of names. And I, when I'm looking at, like, the some of the names who we saw a lot of, like, Kevon Lee ended up leading Penn State in rushing last year. Do I think Kevon Lee is going to be Penn State's leading rusher this time around with John Lovett coming in from Baylor, Noah Kane coming back from an injury? You're hard-pressed to convince me that that's going to be the case again. I mean, Keziah Holmes had some nice moments down the stretch last year. So did Theo Johnson. I think the name that I'm going to in terms of a, a, a jump in production, keep, you know, keeping a close eye on this question, uh, would probably be Keandre Lambert-Smith. Because Parker Washington, second on the team last year in receptions, it was a, a significant gap between Dotson and anybody else. But I think Washington ended up top 10 to 12 in the Big Ten and in, in catches and had six touchdowns on the season, really came on strong, made a case for Big Ten freshman of the year consideration. Um, I think Lambert Smith has a lot more ground to make up if we're looking for production jumps. He had 15 catches last year. Uh, that was third among wide receivers, actually. 138 yards, did not reach the end zone. But you hear a lot of good things about what he brings to the practice field, what he brings to uh, the, the football field as a competitor. He was not lost in the shuffle as a freshman. He was lost in the shuffle a bit in the conversation because of what Jahan Dotson did and because of what Parker Washington did. But he's the guy I would circle for this specific question. I do think Theo Johnson has a chance to to, to really come out and make a statement uh, on his second year on campus. How much we'll see of him and to what extent because of the presence of Brenton Strange, I don't know. But I do think, given what we know about the wide receiver room, the inability for some of the veterans there to really make their move in year number one with Taylor Stubblefield, while Lambert Smith ended up in the starting lineup for a considerable amount of games, he's the guy I go to as as having that leap in project in production based on this question. No, I think it's I think it's a good pick. I think both of those guys are are certainly, especially if you take a look at. Um, what you expect is you're going to throw the ball more this year, and then that's obviously going to help numbers there. I think Theo Johnson's a great answer for this as well, um, especially with with Firemuth out of there, with with Koontz out of there. Not that that would have cut into his reps, but you know it's a pretty clear path right there behind Brenton Strange. And as Brenton Strange showed when when Pat Firemuth was healthy, you can have a second tight end and have him be productive. So um, I like what what Theo brings to the table. But yeah, I, I like Lambert Smith, and that's one of those ones where um, you know we we heard some great things when he got here originally um and kind of 
tapered off there as he had to go home and and do his own thing with training. But uh, for a guy that you know, that's kind of the, the the blueprint for a guy that had to come in, had to put on weight, had to get stronger, etc., and to tap in, to start tapping into that potential. Then all of a sudden, you got that taken from him, and that you know, it's it's really a there's some there's a big downside to that. So uh, I'm interested to see what he can do. I'm um, if he can continue to add the size that he get uh, the, the size that he needs. Great athletic base, a lot to work with. So that that's probably that might be my answer as well, considering what Parker Washington was able to do. Um, you know, on the other side, this this. Uh, uh, this season, um, I looked back at the stat sheet for this. If you couldn't tell from from when I was going through some of those numbers, Theo Johnson had four catches last year. I don't know if he just made the most of them and looked good doing them. It felt like he had more as this as the season came to a close. He he just seemed to flash when that ball went his direction. I think it's about rep count, really. I mean, we saw a yeah. lot of him at the end of the year, a lot of him blocking and just around the ball. And there were times when you know you look up and. Of course, we're going to recall this season. You're going to look up and say, oh, he was open. He should have gotten the ball there. I think we said that for Theo Johnson a handful of times. And, you know, you're right. I've looked at that number a couple of times and thought he had more than four catches. Um, but I think he showed something there. And that goes back to your Lambert Smith pick. His rep count was very high as well. So he was always out there and, you know, sort of a, a, away from the action more as you focus more on Dotson and Washington. But he was already always out there. And that's probably probably a good uh, indicator of what you can expect from him this year in terms of uh, he's going to get more chances. And for as much as we focus in on that quarterback spot, and we will continue to do that, you look around and you look at the fact that all these guys are still freshman status, couple in the backfield, couple at wide receiver there, uh, a tight end who's played quite a bit. There's a lot of experience for these freshman status guys and a lot to work with for Mike Yersich with some stability on the offensive front. Can the quarterback play elevate to take advantage of all these supplemental pieces? There's your big question. And maybe we're shortchanging these running backs in the conversation, but again, Factoring in Noah Kane, factoring in John Lovett, that's a tall task for Kevon Lee and Kazai Holmes in year number two. Um, that's going to do it for this segment of the show. Sean, I'm going to pass it over to you because uh, you sat down with Brian Doan, started talking, and went for a while. Yeah, our 10-minute conversation turned into 35, so if that's why you're wondering why there's a long uh, a long podcast episode today, we started talking rankings. We started talking, you know, just the, the general feeling of, of how – kids are ranked in this point and how to handle it and, and what kind of trends that we've seen based off of that. We got into actual player ranking. We got into some Penn State personnel stuff, some Penn State uh, crystal balls and things like that. So uh, definitely worth the listen. I would I would hope so. Um, Doan is always entertaining when he comes on. And, and of course, we, we can't wait to have him back. Until then, enjoy the interview. Enjoy the weekend. And thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's time to bring in our next guest, my favorite guest. I tell you that all the time. I really mean it and I, because I talk to you six times a day. But Brian Doan from 24-7 Sports, always a favorite of the podcast, always uh, here to tell you like it is because, you know, you don't always get that in recruiting. Doan, thanks for coming back on with us. Hey, we should. you're welcome, but we should really just podcast what we talk about before we podcast because... Yeah. That would be that's a dangerous. That would be bad for both of us, but good for both of us, especially during rankings week when when we find out how much disrespect we uh, you know you don't we dole out as a company and how everyone is slept on and how everybody is is underrated. So had a great week for you. Yeah, I mean it is what it is with that stuff. But I always try to focus. You know me, Fitz. I always focus on the positive. Um, But you know, I'm I'm always encouraged when I'll make a kid, you know, he'll get a three star, maybe be a lower three star and he'll tweet out blessed to be a three star because for every for every kid that complains about a ranking or, or every fan that complains about a ranking, there's probably a hundred that are happy to to be recognized because I, I was telling a kid this the other night because he wasn't happy with his ranking. And I said, if you're a 78 a 78 two star that means you are an unbelievable high school player or prospect and so it's it's all relative but that's when kids complain it's also what makes them great because they always strive they want to be the best and when they're not the best it motivates them and it bothers them and and that's kind of you know they just have to learn how to channel it and you would hope that coaches and parents can facilitate that channeling which well, I- Always but, happens. <laughs> yeah. And I th- but on, on the contrary, I think we can maybe tell something and, and we haven't done the research or anything like that, but you look at how guys respond to something like this, hearing you're not as good as, or you're maybe not as good as you think you are, or you believe you are, or you're being told that you are, it, it it's going to have an adverse effect on some guys. And we've seen some guys that have just absolutely crashed and burned. And in hindsight, looking at things like how they take their ranking, how they, you know, how they handle the process and things like that really can can give you an insight into maybe what kind of player this guy is going to be, what kind of person this guy is going to be. Yeah, you're looking, for me, you're looking at the mental toughness aspect of it, where you hear something you don't want to hear or there's adversity. How do you respond to that? Now, is it the end all be all? No, but, um, you know, I, I feel like, and again, 99.9% of the guys are fine with their ranking. And if and if they're not fine with it and they ask you, you explain it and they're like, okay, I, I understand it. I mean, they don't have to agree, but they understand it and they're great about it. But, you know, guys that are all of a sudden out there um, complaining who don't really understand the process, like you, you may drop, but you didn't really drop. If you're a 95, you're still a 95, but maybe some other kids played and, and moved ahead of you because you know, if you're not playing and somebody else is playing through no fault of your own, all of a sudden you move up, you know, another kid moves up. Well, he's, he's going to pass you. So we should penalize the other kid because you didn't play that, that, that to me at this point, it, it just shows a 
single-mindedness and, and not an understanding of, of what goes on. And I wish they would, you know, all of us on the recruiting team that, that do the rankings will always take time to talk to kids or coaches or parents about rankings. And sometimes I just wish that they would uh, just ask instead of putting things out there so they could understand better. And, it, and it's February 26th. I mean, you've got. Yes, these are final. We'll never change rankings never, again. <laughs> never change them again. And, and well, that's the thing. So in, in our region and, and you do the rankings and you, you ask for input from everybody and, you know, you're, you're the, the guy in the East region. So Maryland doesn't play. Virginia doesn't play. So you've got guys that, you know, are, are, will have not played a football game in 16, 18 months, something like that. But at the same time, there's not a lot of movement in our region right now. I, I think you right. probably more than anybody on the rankings committee are, are conservative in this in that you don't really want to move guys just yet because you, you have to, you have to take into account what's going on with COVID. You have to take into account whether these guys are, you know, uh, training in the off season, how they, how their bodies change, how they're, you know, because these guys are different athletes right now than they were at February of last year. And that might be the last time we saw these guys. Yeah. And, and you look at it from that standpoint and I would rather have an 85 a rank a kid at 85 who proves me wrong. And I jump them up to 90 than have a kid at 90 who I have to drop to 89. And I tell kids, I'm, I'm really upfront about that with kids. I will always be conservative early on because when a kid drops, I mean, they're, they're still kids. And so they're learning how to deal with, and, and they're, and they're high level players. So they haven't had a lot of disappointment usually, um, throughout their career so far. So when they drop, it's like, Oh, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, you didn't do it wrong. I did it wrong when I evaluated you too high, um, which you really can't say to a kid, but, um, so you always try to talk to them about it. And at the end of the day, listen, if you're an 80 and you're going to Penn state, it don't matter. You're going to Penn state. So go play. Cause it doesn't matter. Once you get there, go play. And, and that's, and that's how I look at it. And you've got 10 more months in this cycle. You've got, you know, plenty of guys that are going to go up and go down and we're, we're actually going to get a look at these guys, which is, you know, it's really unfair to the 2021 class in terms of their rankings. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that that's all in the past for a lot of those guys, but Virginia didn't play last year. Maryland didn't play last year. So there's seniors out there, you know, who still could rise, still could fall. And that's, you know, really just a product of the situation we're in. And you got to take all that stuff into account. And then you got to also realize you, you made a great point there. All these guys, probably the best player on their high school team. A lot of them, probably the best player in their in their league. And you don't hear very often that, you know, the best player in a league, you know, might not be good enough. And that's the thing that comes back around, especially when we got this label and this this sort of stigma that, hey, a three star, this guy sucks. They're a bad player. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, and, you know, you look at like North Carolina, which is now in my region, is starting football tonight. Virginia had a few games on Monday. Um, and so you, you're, you're kind of waiting to see some of these states that haven't played just to get out there and say, okay, let's see how they've developed. And that's for the 21 class. So there could be some still changes in the 21 class where states where they have not played. But going back to the thing about being the best in your area, I mean, Fitch, you, you know, all the time, I'll get emails from coaches saying, this kid's a dog. I can't re can't believe that he doesn't have offers. Your ranking is bad. And can you take a look? And I'll look and he'll be like a 5'10 defensive tackle and he'll be absolutely killing it. But just, you know, I'm sure there's one 5'10 defensive tackle playing power five football out there, but percentages aren't in your, in your, 
you know, favor for that. And I think people, I think a thing that people don't understand about the rankings is we are not ranking where they are as players right now. We are ranking where we project that they will be in another four years. And people have a hard time understanding that. Even when you tell them, they often forget that. Yeah, it's uh, it's t- like I said, it's tough to realize that, and 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 it's not saying you know you're bad. It's it's okay. Maybe you you think that you're a top fifty player in the country, and we rate you in the top one fifty or the top two hundred, and you you hear about the disrespect, and it's just like no, I mean it's that that's not really it. There's a lot of really really good football players and prospects out there. I mean, it, it it's impossible to to get everyone right, obviously. But I mean, this is kind of the the situation that we're in. It takes me back to a story from a long time ago. I was still at Rivals when this happened, but like there was like a, a prospect that was rated very highly. Um, we dropped him not significantly. I mean, I think he was a top fifty guy and got dropped to like eighty or something like that. Hits hits me up and says, "Hey, take my profile off Rivals. I don't want to deal with it. Like, I, I I don't want to talk to you people. I don't want you know you guys disrespected me in this way, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. Okay, whatever. Well, four or five years later, that guy was not a starter. Like that that that's kind of the situation that that I'm recalling back. And that's a you know that's something that you take into account when we look at these rankings. Obviously, talent and uh, frame and projectability and all that stuff is there, but you have to take into account, hey, if this kid is is not as mentally tough as we think he is, football is college football is a very tough game <laughs> to develop. I mean, let's let's be honest here. Um, you're you're not seeing a ton of those guys that are, you know, even even the decommitments and the, you know, the guys that make the the recruitment of circus, that hit rate, although we don't have actual absolute data, that hit rate seemingly lines up and and goes with what uh what we think it will. <laughs> I, I always find it fascinating when people are talking about their disrespected with their ranking. And with that, what they're not taking into account is by them saying that they're better than these other kids is actually disrespecting the other kids. So I find the whole thing fascinating. I find it um, unfortunate. And also it is the one part of this job that is it's difficult because you never want a kid in high school to feel bad about what they're doing whether you agree with them or not agree with them or whether they're sitting there saying hey I'm disrespected at the end of the day and I tell kids this all the time these are kids look I've covered pros I've covered high-end college these are kids and they are still the one who you know can't figure out sometimes that how to make a bowl of cereal or something. Um, so I, I, and, and there's other stresses that could be going on in their lives and, you know, with, with girlfriends or personal life that they're just in a bad mood that, that you always think of that stuff. So I, I, I always find it um, difficult to, to, to put kids in that position. But the flip side is some of these kids are the same ones who are, you know, when you rank them, whatever, and they're happy, they're like, Oh, thank you so much. I can't believe it. This is great. And then like a year later, you don't know what you're talking about. 
So we've talked enough about the the process and the, <laughs> the residual effect on that. And yeah. uh, now let's get into the actual rankings in Pennsylvania. Uh, big jump for Nick Singleton, obviously a big Penn State target at running back, uh, big target for Ohio State. Notre Dame's in there, a few other schools in there, Wisconsin. Um, it, but it, it's it's a situation where this is a guy that we've been watching for a long, long time. We knew about the athleticism. He got to play this year. He did a really good job this year. And, you know, he's I think he's starting to round into, uh, you know, a really, really good running back, which you always had the athlete tab. And and we talked about that early in his recruitment. Is this kid a safety, a linebacker? Is he running back? Whatever. He seems to have taken the next step as a running back prospect. Yeah, he has. And and he's added a little more size. So you look at at that part of it, too, and and he just fits the running back mold. Now, I, I think he's when you look at his vision, when you look at his foot speed, his ability to get through the hole, his patience in waiting for plays to be set up and and to wait on his blocks. I, I think all that stuff matters. And then you flip it and you say, okay, he can also run with power. He's got some speed. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to win every hundred meter race, but that's I, I don't really care about that. Um, I, I feel like he's difficult to tackle on the second level. He's difficult one on one. And when you have somebody who's dynamic like that, who runs the ball like he does, you kind of just say, okay, maybe the other positions are wrong at this point and he should be a running back. And and I just look at how he's developed and I, I feel like he's also added some maturity as a person too, as he's gotten a little older. Um, and I think that all factors into it because he's just become a little bit more watching more film and understanding how the game works. I think there's a lot of that stuff that goes with it. Uh, he, he's just, he had an unbelievable junior season you have a crystal ball in for penn state obviously i think we've talked about this before that we see penn state you know maybe not uh, a, a sure thing here uh, probably has some work to do with ohio state really you know in hot pursuit notre dame's also there um any any thoughts on where you stand with that crystal ball yeah i still like that crystal ball i may not love it but i like it um i, I think he's such a priority for penn state the kids in the region who are already committed whether it's Drew Shelton, who I'll still call a kid in the region, even though he's at IMG, uh, Bo Prabula, Makai Flowers, um, Anthony Ivey, they're, they're all still on him. Penn State as a staff is putting in the work with him. I don't think it's going to be an easy recruitment at all, but he is definitely one that uh, Penn State should win. Saw or you mentioned Bo Prabula, uh, little bump for him, high three star now. Um, I know he's a four star composite, but this is one where you talk about the conservative nature of things, especially when it comes to quarterback and taking a look at how these guys throw. And and this is a this is a guy we still want to see in person, right? Yeah, without question. And you know, you look at what he did on the field; it was sensational. Now the competition wasn't great until you advanced further in the playoffs, but he did what he's supposed to do against maybe suspect competition at times and he just absolutely dominated to and i mean it was ridiculous how how much he dominated but so here's here's the choice having not seen him live push to make him a four-star now and then wait and see him throw in the spring and uh whether it's going to be at elite 11 or a camp or somewhere else we we will see him at some point so either push now without having all the data that will be available or just be a little more conservative and wait. My preference is always to be more conservative and wait. 
I agree with you 100%. Uh, a couple other guys uh, saw new rankings here. Uh, Tyrese Fearbury from Pittsburgh, the City League pass rusher. Ryan Brubaker, who picked up a Penn State offer this week. Uh, Fearbury already had a Penn State offer, but a couple of guys in Pennsylvania that have, have caught your eye and you know got pretty respectable rankings there. Yeah, Fearbury is another kid who who fits the Prabula mold just in terms of you watch the tape. It's really good. He's got length. He's really athletic. Talk to some sources that I have out in Western PA, um, you know, just to make sure his size checks out and everything. So what do you do? You 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 know, we as a committee spoke about him on one of our calls, and and we have a call every week that lasts hours. Um, and so we talked about him, and it's like okay. Do we wait, see him live, make sure his measurables really check out, see how he's developed? So we do that. And same thing with Brubaker. You look at Brubaker, and from a technical standpoint, he is unbelievable. Um, you know, you can tell that his dad was a former offensive lineman who did a really good job of helping teach him. And, and Ryan's also had some other coaches through the process who have really helped him refine his technique. So now you want to just go out and see, maybe get some testing numbers at a camp and, and really see how he moves with his athleticism. And is he a guy who can play tackle versus guard? So again, you, you be patient and you just sit there and wait. And people always say, Oh, you guys rank off offers. No, that's not really the case. I mean, he may wind up being a four star, but if we were ranking off offers, we probably would have elevated them to four stars already. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're, that's the reason with those two who are two really good prospects, two kids I like a lot um, as players and people. So for me, it's just be patient. And, and and I think this cycle more than ever, we're willing to turn around and say, hey, we don't have all the data for a guy like Fearbury, who's I think listed at, is he 6'5", six, 6'4"? Six, well, you know, you, you look at the tape and you look at nobody's been able to get near him. Is he six two, six three? That's something that you've got to take into account. And that that's why we're going conservative with a lot of these guys, especially in this region. Um, staying in Pittsburgh, possibly the best prospect in, in Pennsylvania, in Western Pennsylvania, Sean Fitzsimmons. I, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be at the top. Uh, again, it's the same thing as like with Fearbury. You watch Fitzsimmons, and I think you like him just because of his name. Of course, but, but, of course. Um, that's the joke. That's the joke. But for him, you know, let's put it this way: he's the most talented kid I know that has Sean Fitz in his name. Now, you know, that's no disrespect. No disrespect taken. Just the Thank fact you. of his work ethic. It's but good. It's you, humbling. I appreciate that. Yeah, yes, and so, but you look at him. It's like okay. I want to see him live. I want to get some measurements on him. And so here's my conservative approach with him. Um, Cause I haven't been, you know, as we talked about Fearbury, I, I was able to get some stuff from some guys in Western Pennsylvania that made me feel comfortable about elevating him a little higher. So I'm going to be more patient. Now the plan is we're going to do 23s in March and then we're going to go back on some 22s in April. And so that now gives me two months to really dig deep, into him and just make sure, you know, cause I don't want to make the kid an 89 and then find out, you know, maybe I overshot it and now he's an 86 kid looks at that and he's like, what are you kidding me? Um, so, so that's kind of the rationale behind him as well. I appreciate you ruining the joke and going straight serious on that answer. So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, you've got New Jersey, uh, not much changes there. Uh, Jaden Gold is a guy that uh, put out a top six with Penn State in it this week. Jacob Allen, you know, a lot of Penn State Rutgers chatter right there. And then Jaden Bellamy, 
um, as is number three. Not a not a big year for high end top tier talent in New Jersey. Penn State's offered all three of these guys. Uh, you know, we'll talk uh, about Bellamy first. Number three, you and I think he he might be the best one in that in that secondary that includes Jaden Gold. Yeah, and it's funny because Bellamy was at St. John Vianney for a few years, and I saw him there young, and I'm like, boy, this kid's got a chance. I go up to watch him play for Bergen Catholic. And I saw him, I saw him at a practice in August. And I'm like, oh, this kid, you know, let's see him with pads. I go up and literally, if you watch his huddle, I think it's the first play on his huddle is the first play of the game against St. Peter's prep. He's playing safety. Now I think he's a corner, but he's playing safety, comes in, just drills a kid, gets a flag for targeting, also gets held out the rest of the game for concussion protocol and so it's like oh man so you go up to see him and he played one play so again I'll, I'll wait and see now I'll be able to see Bergen practice again in the spring and really get a look at him more as a corner than as a safety but you look at his genes I mean his dad Jay you know went to Rutgers and played in the NFL for a long time so there's that aspect of the genes that that should translate. But yeah, I, I think he's got length, he's got hips, and he's got speed. Um, I, I think I think he's a really good prospect that again, patience. I didn't realize, I did not realize Jay Bellamy played 14 years in the NFL. That's uh that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I I I knew he was there for a while, but 14 years is a long time. Uh Jaden Gold came out with that top six. Uh what are you hearing on that from a Penn State angle? I know that's a guy that they they, they really like a lot. Yeah, I was up at Bergen Catholic um, when Taiwan Malone announced and, you know, just talking to some people up there about where things stood with Gould. And he he wants to get out and visit some places still, like he talked about when he did his top six. But um, I keep hearing that, you know, Michigan, obviously, I still think is the team to beat. And I wrote it inside the top six um, that was on lines 247 a, a day or two ago. But, you know, Penn State is far enough from home to where he can have some independence and it's not as far as Michigan to where family can get to him relatively easy with a drive. He likes Terry Smith. He likes how Penn state can develop guys in the secondary. So they have that going for him. Now, Michigan had long been what, what everybody perceived, I think is the leader um, for a while, but, yet he never committed, even though there were continual rumblings. Like even when I was up there at, at Bergen Catholic in November, um, at that point, there was talk of he may commit to Michigan in a few weeks, and then Michigan changes over his defensive staff. And then the other thing to look at is, you know, he's coming off of ACL. And when I was at that game, I mean, this was just one of the games, you know, you talk about going out to watch guys play. Well, we know that Taiwan Malone had an ACL injury, and so he was done for the year. Bellamy gets hurt on pretty much the first play of the game and Jaden Gould leaves in the first half um, tweaking his knee that he had. I believe it was the one he had surgery on. I, I can't remember definitively, but so like within the first, you know, couple drives, two of the kids you went to go see that I hadn't seen play this year are, are out. I still think with Jaden Gould, he's a kid that with his size and his length, I could see him being a, hybrid type guy if he puts on a little more size maybe get down in the box a little bit more um he does have some uh boy i'm gonna 
I'm going to kick myself on this. The kid out of Wise who played at Penn State, Marcus, Marcus Allen. Yeah. Marcus Allen. Um, he's got some of that to him. I don't think I'll ever see a high school safety hit the way Marcus Allen did, but I think Gould has some of that. I think I think at the end of the day, Gould will wind up either being a safety or a linebacker, but we'll see how his frame develops. You're not going to be asked back to Bergen Catholic anytime soon. You go up there and all their guys get hurt. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was absolutely remarkable. But Angeli led a game-winning, game-winning drive at quarterback, so I guess I got that going for me. I guess with Angeli, a lot of Penn State fans probably rooting for him to, to pull the trigger for Notre Dame, especially after Drew Alar, the quarterback in Ohio, picked up the Notre Dame offer this week. You just looked at Alar. We, we bumped him on 24-7 sports big time. I mean, this is uh, yeah. uh, he went from, I think, from an 87 to a 93 or something along those lines. Um, but you just took a look at him. Uh, tell me what you like. Yeah, I mean, I uh, everything. <laughs> I mean, look, he's got he can move in the pocket. He's got some escapability um, when the play breaks down a little bit. I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be running for forty yard touchdowns, but he's got a big time arm. I mean, he's got a big frame who can stand in the pocket, and he's got a big time arm. He doesn't even try. It looks like on some of these, and that ball just goes flying because his delivery is so smooth. I mean, you you watch that tape, and it's it's a no brainer on why he went up so much in the rankings and for me it's different than what Penn State had recruited for a while right so you you can kind of see the little bit of the transformation with the new offensive coordinator and what he wants in a quarterback and boy I mean if you have not watched Drew Alar play this season I I invite you to go into his profile on 24-7 sports and watch his highlights from his junior year that are in there because they are absolutely mm, they are fabulous number 89 overall by 24-7 sports yeah I can see you know what Fitz I'm not gonna sit here and say he's not gonna go up at some point I mean I think this is just tip of the iceberg and you watch how this kid really does things kind of in the next six months or whatever I mean he's got Mm, he's got a lot of talent. All right. So so I'm going to put you on this one because one of the, the absolute dumbest things that we do here is we watch high school quarterbacks and we compare them oh, to NFL no. guys. Let's hear it. Let's hear what you got to say. Oh, boy. Um, well, this is where you get a little hey, insight. You're the, you're, the, you're the one that wanted to bring yeah. the off-record conversations on the record. So this, yeah, is, this, is, on say, this is on me. But uh, so I, I'm, I'm watching him with Fitz earlier and I'm like, Man, I hate to do this, but he reminds me of the kid at Wyoming who's now with the Bills. What is his name? Josh Allen. Yep. And it, and it's, and I'm like, I just watch him and because for a quick little background, I used to cover UCLA. They played Wyoming in the Las Vegas Bowl, and I covered it, and Wyoming beat them. And the Wyoming coach at the time was some dude named Joe something. I can't even remember was the nicest guy around. And so literally when Wyoming's on TV and they, whenever they're on like CBS sports network, because I think there's some games on there, I would always watch Wyoming and I loved Josh Allen when he was playing Wyoming. Plus you could be watching a game in September and it's snowing. So that's also fun. So for me, Josh Allen was really in my mind a lot. And when I'm watching him, I'm like, Oh man, it was like I can almost see the the brown, white, and yellow uniforms of Wyoming on him. I didn't expect. No, that it. is not a crystal ball pick. <laughs> I did not expect a Joe Glenn reference on the podcast. Joe Glenn, before. there we yes. go, Joe Glenn, South yes. Dakota legend, Joe Glenn. All right, um, 
finally in in the region here a couple of new Boy, this thing has gone off the rails first. completely off the rails yes um i hope you're still sticking around with us but <laughs> in the region uh anto sacco oliver bridges two guys in maryland penn state offers uh sacco was just offered i think yesterday or the day before um so uh what did you see from those guys because we didn't change anybody in maryland that maryland didn't play so there's nobody really going up or down um unless we've seen them in a camp setting like we've seen oliver bridges in a camp setting um what have you seen from those two guys you know, I think I think there were a couple kids maybe in Maryland that went up a point or two because places like Archbishop Spalding played a game or two. So there, you know, like Antosaka played. They they had like two or three games, and so watching his tape, um, I liked his his burst off the edge. He's he's a he's very similar to what you get out of Fearbury. Um, not sure if he has the same length that he does, but very similar players. So when you look at Penn State recruiting Fearbury and offering him and, and offering Saka, very similar stuff. Saka's at Loyola uh, Blakefield. Um, really good off the edge, athleticism, kid that can drop into coverage if you need him to, runs really well, backside pursuit is good. Uh, that's what I saw about him. Now, Bridges did not play, but the rub on him is I was down in Virginia Beach at a camp in November. And there's Bridges. So, A, I got to watch him work out. B, I got to see his size and length, which is incredible. And he's legit 6'1", 6'2", and ran a sub 4'5", electronic. So it's not like some dude with a stopwatch. I mean, it was legit. And so when you put all that together and, and you watch his his uh, ability to, to just move in space and kind of change direction, I'm not 100% he'll stay at corner. I could see him maybe moving to safety, but boy, he, he runs so well and, and he's got a lot of talent that, that now I, so you see that you're able to give him that grade and then we'll see where it goes from there when we can get to see him a little bit more and how he's developed. And his father was a All-American sprinter and Howard, big guy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like there. And I agree with you. Yeah. He's listed as a corner. Wouldn't would not be shocked if he was a linebacker in the long term. Also, Ed Bullis, Christian Bayou, Daniel Nwosu, a bunch of guys from from Penn State. Penn State's had some success there. Um, so that's certainly a guy to keep a keep an eye on moving forward. Um, finally, uh, you talked to Deny Dennis Sutton this week. This is a guy that's always a hot topic on our podcast. Podcast. Uh, we both have crystal balls in for Penn State. How you feeling about that one? Yeah, I, I still like where my crystal ball pick is. I may love it. I'm not sure. I'll let you give a percentage on what you feel with your crystal ball. But I mean, look, he's talking about Penn State, Alabama, and Oklahoma. And in talking to him about the schools, it was clear he has a much stronger connection to Penn State and their staff and their program and everything that goes along with Penn State and the relationships with McDonough and, um, you know, Quan Williams is talking about maybe committing soon and Penn State could be the choice there um, if he goes ahead and does it. Um, there's just so many things that still point to Penn State's direction. Now, listen, if you're dealing with Alabama and Alabama wants him and pushes for him, that is always a concern for any program in the country. Because while Penn State, do, do, do you or, really have to explain it? <laughs> well, I mean, let's, let's be honest it, here. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, so um, I, I think that's the one to really look at. Now, speaking of McDonough, Penn State uh, rehired Kenny Sanders, who's a McDonough grad. Um, this is probably just splintering off here. What kind of impact can a guy in the recruiting coordinator uh, position have? Like Kenny's had a lot of success at, at Penn State, at Oregon. Um, what can a guy like that do um, when you're actually 
trying to recruit these kids more so than just identify these kids and setting them up for the assistant coaches? What can a guy like Kenny bring to the table there? Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that um, I've been waiting to happen for about a year, to be honest. Um, listen, I, I, I know that when he was at Penn State before and I would talk to the NFL scouts that would go through there um, and they always raved about Kenny. They, they absolutely loved him. They thought he was great, not only with talent identification, but he's an easy guy to talk to. He's an easy guy to build quick relationship with. Um, a likable person who also works really hard. So how does that translate when he's going to be just out there, you know, contacting kids and, and doing that? Well, it's huge because more and more you see with the way recruiting is set up and pay attention to it in stories. And, and you'll start seeing how his name starts popping up in recruiting talk. Um, and you'll see that for staffs across the country where, you know, if maybe we're not as familiar, kid mentioned somebody and before writing a story, I'm Googling to make sure I have the title right and everything. And it's more and more dealing with guys who are off the field. And because of Kenny's past and his reputation and his familiarity with Penn State, he also will be able to say, hey, I saw this kid. Um, we maybe need to go harder on this kid or, you know, maybe we need to pull back on somebody here's what we need from the relationship standpoint on what he's looking for. So to me, to have him more involved in recruiting is a good thing for Penn state. Actually, and, it's, it's better than a good thing. And it's kind of setting yourself up. Cause this is a guy that's, you know, when he's hosted visits and, and been a guy that, you know, parents love players love all that kind of stuff. It's, it's certainly a guy that you can relate and a guy that knows the landscape. You know, that's, that's the thing well, when they brought in guys like Charles Walker and Eric Thatcher, that's, that's fine, but they, you know, they're not, they don't have that Penn State background that Kenny Kenny will bring to the table. Yeah, the the background having the the ability to work in an environment that you know well that offers whatever challenges offer or whatever uniqueness comes out of um, dealing with a particular school. He does not have to get up to speed with that stuff. He's already familiar with it, and so he is much further ahead than just your normal person coming in and starting a position. I mean, and plus I, I you know, it, Penn state has done really well in the DMV and with losing some of the coaches they have lost with connections there, having him be back and, and he knows a lot of people down there. It, it's going to help him. It's going to help Penn state markedly in that instance as well. Before you get out of here, Anthony Poindexter officially brought on board this week. We talked a little bit last week about his recruiting acumen, but that's a guy that's been in your region before. What, what do you think he brings to the table for Penn State? Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's the same when it comes to relationships in the DMV. He's a guy that when he was at UVA was you know he was he recruited the DMV, and so he doesn't have to call up the coaches and be like, "Hey, I'm Anthony Poindexter. I'm the new coach. Uh, you know, I'm now at Penn State. Just want to introduce myself." Did you make and, him a nerd because his name is Poindexter? Is that does that that? No, I, I, that did, I, I, I did not. I did not. I was I was just trying to be more like somebody who would be feeble just introducing themselves like my 15 year old would be when he's talking to like his coach for the first time for lacrosse as he's supposed to do today. So um, I think, I think I channeled my inner 15 year old, but he's a guy that really, I mean, he knows everybody there and the coaches will be able to say to their players, Hey, here's who he is. We know him from, such and such, you know, even a guy like Bill McGregor, who had been around for a while with DeMatha um, before he left and Elijah Brooks came and now McGregor's back, stuff like that will all 
you know, it, it, it's easy. It makes it, it, it makes the transition a lot easier to where he doesn't have to, you know, he could just call 10 guys down there and know who the prospects are in the 23 and 24 classes, because that's ultra important right now as well. Very good, Brian. Uh, we've had you on for much longer than we expected. So uh, apologies for that, but also thank you for that. And it's always good to talk to you, get a different perspective on what we're hearing uh, on the recruiting trail. But thanks again. Uh, thanks once again. And I'm sure we will hear from you again soon. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.